This is the Heartland College Sports Podcast Bedlam Edition. I'm Eric G. from 97.1, the sports animal in Tulsa. And coming up on this week's episode, North Carolina head coach Mac Brown has some advice for both OU and his former school as they head to the Southeastern Conference. ESPN breaks college football down into 24 tiers, and I'll tell you why they got Oklahoma State's tier all wrong. OU has a couple of opponents kicking their season off, and we'll discuss whether or not the NIL actually works from an advertising standpoint. But first, let's talk about one of the most perplexing topics that is facing college football today. And no, I'm not talking about the transfer portal or even the NIL. As I mentioned, we'll get to that a little bit later on. I'm talking about what do you do with the Southeastern Conference once Oklahoma and Texas become a part of it? Because the scheduling is is going to be an absolute nightmare. And Mike Gundy was right last week when he was talking about how Bedlam was dead and there's no way that OU and OSU could play each other because it's most likely that the Southeastern Conference is going to move to a nine-game conference schedule. And if they don't, you're going to get a lot of backlash from the media. And that's the last thing the Southeastern Conference wants is backlash. Because the SEC, the the image of the SEC is, is that they are the toughest conference in America. And the reason that you have these sandwich games that happen late in the season where somebody like Auburn will play Liberty in between their Iron Bowl is because you can make the excuse, well, hey, we've got Alabama next week, so... Why would we, you know, why would we go out and schedule USC when we got Bama next week? No, we need to play a Liberty. We need to make sure our guys are healthy because our biggest game of the year is one week away. Okay. So in last week's show, if you didn't hear it, we discussed how OU should adjust their non-con schedule to fit what's coming up. Well, today we're going to talk about OU's conference schedule and how it can possibly look. The issue that you've got right now, if you're Greg Sankey, is that there's so much politics with inside the Southeastern Conference that all these schools are wanting to preserve their natural rivalries or longtime rivalries. And they're the obvious ones that you know. Alabama, Auburn, the Iron Bowl. That game has to be preserved. Uh, there's a very good chance that Texas and Texas A&M is going to get rekindled if for no other reason it's a compromise with A&M who didn't want Texas in the league in the first place. This is a way to kind of smooth things over with A&M being angry that they're not the only school from Texas as a member of the Southeastern Conference. Georgia, Florida, one of those that has to be preserved. And of course, Mississippi, Mississippi State. But then you get down into some of the, I don't want to call them lesser rivalries, but I'll just call them secondary rivalries. LSU, Texas A&M, Auburn, Georgia, which is a long-standing rivalry, Florida, LSU, which have played every year for what seems like the last 500 years, um, Arkansas, Missouri. Well, okay, I don't know that that's necessarily a rivalry, but I'm 100% certain, as a matter of fact, Sam Pittman has already said it, he wants Arkansas to play Missouri every year because, let's face it, he doesn't want to play OU, A&M, and Texas every single year. Um, Ole Miss LSU, if I haven't already mentioned that one, um, I think I may, may have already have, but, the, but, but I think you kind of get my point. And when you put it down on paper and do not try this at home, because when you try this at home, part of this exercise is putting yourself in Greg Sankey's shoes 
and having to make all these athletic directors, presidents, coaches, and fans happy, and you're not going to be able to do it. No matter how hard you try, when you break this down into four pods across the SEC for all 16 teams, it can't be done. Somebody's going to get upset, and not all these rivalries can be preserved. So I started looking at what might possibly be the best for Oklahoma and for Texas. And I tried to think about Arkansas since essentially it kind of feels like OU and Arkansas are somewhat partners in all this. And and I would think that that would be a natural rivalry. But here's here's kind of what, what I came up with. All right. So you go OU, Texas, Missouri, Arkansas in one pod. A&M, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State in another. Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, and Kentucky. Florida, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, and South Carolina. And I know what you're saying. There's kind of an ooh factor to all this. But it does preserve OU, Texas, which when you ask OU and Texas... Those games, that game, I would guarantee if you ask Texas, which that's the better that's the better person to ask, OU Texas has become bigger than Texas, Texas A&M because they haven't played in that long. And A&M and Texas will eventually will get to play each other on a two-year schedule, but then they'll take a two-year break. Now that probably takes A&M off, but at least they get to preserve their rivalry with LSU. LSU gets to preserve their rivalry with Ole Miss. Auburn and Alabama and all and Georgia and Auburn are playing with each are, are playing each other. <laughs> yes, feel free to rewind that and have as much fun with it as you want. Tennessee and Vandy get to play. Florida and Tennessee get to play. So that's almost the best you can do, unless you wanted to do this. Okay, and I came up with one more. It was Oklahoma, Missouri, Texas, and AM. So that way, A&M and Texas do play every year. OU and Texas play every year. You rekindle that OU-Missouri rivalry from back in the Big 8 days. LSU and Arkansas would be in the same pod, which probably doesn't thrill Arkansas, but it, it thrills LSU because LSU is normally better than Arkansas, and at least there's the golden boot or the brass boot or whatever they play for with Mississippi and Mississippi State. And here's what I'm thinking if I'm Arkansas real quick. If you're Arkansas and you get put in that pod, you can handle Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Plus, Arkansas-Ole Miss is a rivalry that dates back to Arkansas-Southwest Conference days, so it's not a complete loss. Um, Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, Kentucky in one, which again would be the toughest pod most years, but it preserves two big rivalries than Florida, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, South Carolina again. But as you can see, this is not an e- there is no solution that's going to make everyone happy and this is not going to be easy for Greg Sankey to iron out. Ultimately what you want to avoid if you're OU is something that Barry Trammell wrote about is if you're if the SEC is smart and can somehow maneuver their way through all the obstacles and preserve as many of these rivalries as they could like say an LSU Florida type rival then that opens the door for Alabama and Oklahoma to be in the same pod. And I don't know about you, I'm not ready to go there with Oklahoma. Not yet. Even if Alabama is the measuring stick, what you don't want to have happen is you play Alabama five straight years 
And for four of those years, they kicked the living crap out of you. And let's look at OU's history against Alabama because I, I know what you're saying. All right. Starting in the early 2000s, Bob Stoops went 2-0 against Alabama teams that were co- coached by Dennis Francione. Then there was the third time Bob Stoops played Alabama, coached by Nick Saban in a Sugar Bowl that Alabama didn't want to be didn't want to be in because they wanted to play for the national championship, and we saw Trevor Knight had a, have a tremendous game. And it was only under Lincoln Riley's regime where Kyler Murray had to perform what would have been the most historic, greatest comeback in OU history. Did OU really get a taste of what real Alabama is, what Alabama is now under Nick Saban, and Alabama built a massive lead in that game. And that's how right now things would go. If OU were to start in the SEC today, OU is a mile or two behind Alabama, which is not something you can't overcome, but it's going to take Brent Venable's time to get the kind of athletes, especially on the defensive side of the ball, to build up to playing a team like that where you feel like when you're playing against them every year, you can compete. And there's no doubt in my mind, and probably yours if you're of a certain age, that OU Alabama could become the next OU Nebraska. But it's way dependent on OU to get to that level. And some of you are saying, well, wait, what about Nick Saban leaving? Well, he just signed a brand new eight-year con- or an eight-year extension at Alabama. Is he going to coach all those eight years? Most likely not, because he'll be 78 at the end of it. And I'm sure that there language, I'm sure that there's language in there that you know lets him get out of it a couple of years early, still keeps him well paid and probably gives Alabama the power to pick Nick Saban's successor. But here's the thing you have to remember, and I saw a tweet today, and I I won't rip who said it, about how Alabama's going to be the worst job in the world once Nick Saban leaves or the worst job in college football, but here's what you have to remember. When Nick Saban leaves, that program is still going to be in better shape than any other program in college football. So whoever comes in should be able to pick up right where Nick Saban left off. You might not win six national championships, and you may lose to your rivals a couple of more times than what Nick Saban did, but for the most part, you're going to win a hell of a lot more than you're going to lose. And even if you don't last as long as Nick Saban, you can walk out with your head held high, and whoever gets it next, it just becomes a turnkey operation As long as the recruiting stays at the level it is now, more importantly, the player development stays where it is now, and as long as you don't have Alabama go Texas and get more people involved in the program than what need to be. So for a while, it'll be there. Do I think Oklahoma can eventually get to that level? Yeah, we've seen Oklahoma at that level. Okay, if you're you're 50 or over, you know what Oklahoma looks like when they can play at that level, whether it was under Bob Stoops or under Barry Switzer. Okay, if you're older than that, then you you may even know what it looks like under, under Bud Wilkinson. So yeah, Oklahoma can get there, but it's time, it's patience, and realizing that you're in this interesting retooling, rebuilding thing where it's it's one step at a time to eventually build up to where you're going to be. And speaking of going to the Southeastern Conference, I wanted to go ahead and get this out of the way, but uh, Mac Brown, in his uh, the only way Mac Brown can, uh, said that when OU and Texas go to the Southeastern Conference, it's all about winning. Okay, 
not breaking any new ground there. And I know what you're saying. Well, geez, Mac, really? Really, it's all about winning? The problem that I have with what Mac Brown said, and I won't go through the whole quote and bore you with it, but all right, so yeah, we know it's about winning. But shed a little light. What do you have to do differently if you're OU, if you're Texas in the Southeastern Conference, that you're either not doing now or weren't doing during your entire time in the Big 12? What is separating Alabama from you? What is it in recruiting? What is it in developing? You certainly have some insight on that because you had some hellacious teams while you were at Texas. You also had some teams that weren't very good and were even you even admitted that you dropped the ball in recruiting. So go back. Dwell on that a little bit, Mac. And you know what? Since you're not here to do it, I'll go ahead and do it for you. And the first thing that, that both OU and Texas, and really Texas has to do a better job of this than Oklahoma, because I, I have no doubt, Brett Venables has laid it out for you, OU fans. He has laid it out for you. Find guys that fit. Find guys that want to be coached hard. Find guys that want to commit three or four years, which, okay, if we're being honest, that's a little tenuous right now with the transfer portal. Do guys really want to stick around a program three or four years when they think they've got the opportunity to go start someplace else? Okay, when they, when they actually get on campus and realize how hard it is, can you really keep them around that long? Well, it all depends on how bad they want to be at OU, which means you, the coach, are going to have to sell it and keep reselling it every single year. Brent Venables can do that. Texas doesn't really have anybody that can do that right now. And there's no way anybody can trust trust Steve Sarkeesian as anything but John Makovic 2.0. Name's Quinn Ewers as a starting quarterback. There's, there's, You're not, I can tell right now, you're not convinced that Quinn Ewers is going to bring Texas back. No one is. We've got to see it in action. But it's all about fit. It's all about, yes, you need those guys that, look, you need the Adonis-looking type guys. But do they come in? Do they want to play hard? Do they want to commit to what is going to make them a great player? And here's the thing. I believe that there are more guys out there than they're not simply because with the way things are media-wise today and all the coverage that we've got on college football and all the access that these guys have to information, Nick Saban, all right, Alabama's the place you want to go. Why? Because Alabama's going to put you in the NFL. So obviously guys like being coached hard. If you can just guarantee and show that you can get to the NFL playing from Oklahoma, you'll be able to find the guys that you need. Okay, and it would have been nice had Mac Brown gone into that, but since he didn't, I laid it out for you. All right, coming up next, college football is broken down into 24 tiers by ESPN, and they really screwed up Oklahoma State's, and we'll explain where Oklahoma State should have been ranked next. As we less than patiently await for the season to kick off, we're still stuck with, with ways to provide new content to you. As members of the media, be it you know spoken word, writing, whatever, and ESPN every day always has they've always got a piece like this. This time it's breaking the college football world into down into twenty four different tiers. Twenty four. I mean, seriously, no, this is really good work. Well, actually, I would say it's okay work because honestly, for ESPN, 
none of this is near as detailed as, as you want it to be in this breakdown. And if you subscribe to ESPN Plus, as I do, uh, not simply for Sooner Vision, but uh, for a lot of the content that they provide, you would have thought they would have given you more detail in these 24 in these 24 tiers that they give college football. So let's just go through a few of them because, let's face it, you want you want to go through 24 tiers, you can pay the subscription, and I don't think you want to hear me talk about all 24 tiers. But there's one, the clear favorites, which are Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. There's a little synopsis, um, a paragraph, maybe two, kind of summing everything up, followed by the how quickly we forget tier, which includes OU, Notre Dame, Michigan, and Clemson. And all these are teams that have played in the college football playoff. They have experience. And sometimes we forget that these teams are always knocking on the door or have a tendency to get into the playoffs, especially teams like Clemson and Oklahoma, who are regular visitors to the college football playoff. That's followed by the Rising Stars. Uh, They're maybe back, which includes Miami, Texas, and USC. Uh, Three teams with huge question marks. Of those three, the one you could probably count on most being back this year is Miami. Love that Mario crystal ball hire. A lot of talent at Miami that that he can work with. That team team should be good. In fact, that team will be better than Texas and USC this year. And if I'm wrong, again, preserve this, make fun of me a little bit later. But the problem I have is their... The category after that, so Tier 4 is there may be back. After that, Tier 5 is the kind of basketball schools where they have Baylor. Okay, Baylor's won a national championship in basketball. Uh, Houston certainly has come close. Kentucky, Michigan State, Wake Forest, and Oklahoma State. And then it goes into the fact that all these teams have had 10-win seasons last season Um, Four played for league titles, including Oklahoma State. You've got Oklahoma State knocking off Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl, but they totally mischaracterized Oklahoma State. The kind of basketball schools, which in a way does OSU a disservice because they're a rising star. Period. End of story. They should be in Tier 3, lumped in with North Carolina State, A&M, Utah, and Wisconsin. Okay, that's where Oklahoma State belongs. The reason I say that, and go with me on this, if you will, Oklahoma State is about to benefit from the fact that both OU and Texas are no longer in the Big 12. They're going to benefit from the fact that no other school right now, save for maybe BYU, is pumping near as much money into that football program as Oklahoma State will. You're getting a huge boost by having Casey Schramm and Chad Weiberg running that program with Mike Gundy. And yes, I know Texas Tech building that brand new facility out in Waco. It's going to be great. It's certainly going to help Joey McGuire with recruiting. But right now, Oklahoma State as a program and as an on-the-field product is ahead of where Texas Tech is. They are way more established than Tech. And they have the wherewithal to stay on top of this league because we know Mike Gundy is going nowhere for the next few seasons. One, he's just got an extension. But more importantly, not only does he have administration that he can work with, but he's got a son who looks to be the backup quarterback for OSU this year in in, in Gunner Gundy and maybe the future. Then he's got one behind that 
at Stillwater High who will most likely go to Oklahoma State. And, and Mike Gundy, I'm guaranteeing you, unless something really weird happens between now and the next few seasons, is going to stay at OSU until those kids have graduated. Now, when they graduate, all bets are off and we could see Mike Gundy retire, but Oklahoma State has a big-time opportunity to reel off a few conference championships in a row. Because at absolute worst, they're equal with everybody in the conference going forward from here on out. How could you not put them in the rising stars category? If you've taken any in-depth or any time, and to look at Oklahoma State in-depth is probably the better way to say it, then you know everything this program has to offer. You've made your strength and conditioning coach the highest paid strength conditioning coach in the country, Rob Glass. Not only is he phenomenal in player development, but now you've invested in him. They're making bigger investments, not just in him, but the rest of their coaches. There's going to be a stadium upgrade, and I guarantee you this, when Mike Gundy wants it, when Rob Glass wants it, there's going to be facility upgrades. The commitment is finally there at OSU. And these are all details that ESPN didn't include. And and the rising star thing, when I talk about the rising star thing, let's say Oklahoma State doesn't make it back to the conference championship game this year, which I think they will. Uh, And at this point, I'm actually predicting a Bedlam rematch in the conference championship game. But if Oklahoma State doesn't make it back, it doesn't mean that they won't have 10 wins this year. This should be another 10-win ball team. A&M, how is A&M, and I know exactly that's what you're saying, A&M, how is A&M even in this conversation? Because A&M is perennially an 8-win team. They're not a 10-win team, they're an 8-win team. And there's no reason to think that's going to change. Look at their schedule now. Okay, would you right now? Yes, and I know A&M will probably be favored in the majority of their games and you know for the exception of Alabama. I know they beat Alabama last year. But this is the same team that managed to lose four games. They always manage to disappoint. Oklahoma State, I know has had somewhat of a track record of that, but if you look at where they're going now, they're starting to get over that hump. And they will they will continue to climb past that hump as the Big 12 becomes a much different conference and sits up better for them to not just compete, but win championships in that conference. Okay, A&M's going to be stuck in the Southeastern Conference. Seeing them win between nine and eight games every year will probably be more the norm. So rising stars, not so fast. Utah's a rising star. Okay, it sounds good. But what happens when USC eventually comes back around, whether it's under Lincoln Riley or somebody else? And we know that USC will. Um, You've also got to remember Oregon. And and look, I I don't have a problem. I think Utah is the hardest one to talk about here because we just don't know what the future of their conference is. Wisconsin's Wisconsin. I mean, it's another team that's just kind of stuck where they are now. They'll always be good. They'll probably be the best team. Well, actually, when USC comes along, Depending on how that conference breaks up, Wisconsin's usually the best. They're the best program in their half of the Big Ten, but they're nowhere close to the Ohio States, the Michigan, and when they're right, Penn State. Um, so yeah, and NC State they've have you realize NC State has won one ten win season 
for their entire program. So yeah, you missed on Oklahoma State. As usual, somebody figures out a way to screw things up with Oklahoma State, and ESPN certainly didn't give them uh, enough enough credit for what they're accomplishing in that program right now and what will be accomplished in that program here over the next few years. Don't forget, college football starting this weekend, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, maybe kickoff's already happening. Uh, you get your first look at Nebraska this year. They play um, Northwestern over in Ireland, and then UTEP is hosting um, North Texas, Seth Luttrell's old team. So a couple of teams that OU's playing gives you an opportunity to do some advanced scouting. And finally, I got to wonder about this. Okay, this has kind of been on my mind. Does the NIL really work? And we may have discussed this before, but the reason I bring this up is because Hooters is signing a bunch of college offensive linemen to do some advertising for them under the NIL. Uh, They've even got... Some, some OU guys involved in all this. Want to find out who they are? Go to heartlandcollegesports.com. We probably got a list of them. But when I think about college players eating at Hooters, I, I wonder who does that really resonate with? Who is your target audience there? And I know what you're going to say. It's men 18 to 49. All right. Well, I think college football players kind of sort of register with college kids or kind of sort of connect with college kids. College kids usually very cynical. It's generally a younger audience. It's, it's generally your tweens and your teens who look up to these guys and want to be them will see that endorsement and probably go visit that business that these players are endorsing. Anything over than that, that 18 to 49, that coveted men 2554 demo that we always talk about in sports talk radio, I don't know that college kids or even endorsements are always the, the the best way to go. The best way to sell endorsements is, is to be a guy that people like and people trust. And if you're a person that people like and trust, say like an Arnold Palmer was, I thought Arnold Palmer was great for endorsements because people just liked him. And people thought, man, if Arnold Palmer is really using Pennzoil, then I'm going to use Pennzoil. Um, radio talent, you know, myself not included on this. Uh, may, you know, look, Pete Mundo is great for this, not Eric G. I'm not, you know, I'm not the endorsement guy. The guy I work with, Pat Jones, killer for endorsements because everybody loves Coach. Everybody loves Pat Jones. So when Pat Jones tells you that you should go to Mondo's, um, yeah, we go to Mondo's because we trust what Pat says. Pat has a way of making you, making you believe that he goes there on, on a regular occasion, and he eats at that restaurant, which he does. So, I mean, it's not a lie, but you've got to be believable. Just because you've got a logo on your helmet or a team name across your jersey, it does not guarantee that you are always going to hit a home run in an endorsement. So as a business owner, when you're going after these college kids, and I have no problem with them making money, ask if they're the best way to sell your business. All right, that wraps up today's um, edition or this week's edition of Heartland College Sports Podcast Bedlam Edition, something like that. <laughs> um, if you if you've made it through this far, I'm going to ask you: please rate us five stars. Please review, rate, subscribe, rate, and review. We say that all the time on this podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. 
We want you to do all three of those things. And remember, may God bless you and your family. As the great Jackie Moon always says, everybody love everybody. And to quote Diamond David Lee Roth, stay frosty.